You're listening to She Likes to Go Slow, and today it is a day of podcasts for dog lovers. We're so happy to welcome to the podcast the author of The Dog Lady of Mexico, Alison Sawyer. Thank you for calling us today. Oh, I'm thrilled. Thank you for listening. (laughs) Oh, and reading. It's been an amazing book, and I've loved spending time with this book. It's now a bestseller on Amazon. Is that right? Yes, it is. So you told me you put a lot of time into this book. Oh, I'm not very fast. <laughs> Ten years to write. Ten years, wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I well, it, Dog Rescue is 24-7. I mean, it's a very busy, demanding thing to do. So I pretty much wrote it during the summers. And uh, But, yes, it did take – I wanted it to be the best it could be. Wow. So it took me a long time. Yeah, I don't even know how you made time for it, but we're so glad that you did. We have so many animal lovers, so thank you for speaking with us today. Just how many animals would you guess? I know there's no way you could say, but how many street dogs do you think there are in Mexico? Oh, my. I can't imagine. I just can't imagine. There are so many. Every city is full of street dogs. And, uh, you know, dogs are attracted to people. Sure. So, uh, and if there isn't proper um, veterinarian care, then they don't get spayed and neutered, and then they multiply. And, but, you know, every city is full of them. And, and, of course, garbage is a problem in Mexico, so there's always plenty to eat. And uh, there's just tons. And we just don't see that. We see the touristy side of Mexico and don't really see that that's going on. No, and and there's a lot of where I am. I'm on Isla Mujeres, which is just off of Cancun, a little island. And uh, the big thing in Cancun now is these all-inclusives, mm-hmm. which having ha- had children myself, I mean, they're, they're a great idea for a 100% vacation. But you really don't see what's going on when you're in these um, hotels. They're very much isolated. Sure. And uh, your story is mostly a combo of fiction. And how much is based on your actual experiences? Well, most of it is true. Yeah. Uh, it's a fiction because I've changed names in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've taken... You know, there, I have uh, one spay and neuter clinic that we did, and I took all of the most interesting things out of maybe five or six other spay and neuter clinics and turned it into one. So actually, it's it's true. All of the stories are true stories. So this captures a really good part of your life. Oh, the last 20 years. Wow. I didn't mean to do this. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, would you have ever in your life have predicted you'd be doing the things you're doing right now? Never. Never. <laughs> I was born in Toronto, and I raised my kids in Colorado, and I'm a potter. I was a potter for 30 years. That's what I did full-time, pottery. And um, uh, if somebody had told me, I'd tell them that they'd read their tarot cards wrong or something. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know... I notice as we weave through this this tale and these stories, we meet some really great characters that you know, and uh, they're both happy and sad stories. I would say that what I love about this book is you've taken a really terrible situation and put such a positive spin on it. How does everyone get through the sadness to help these animals out? Oh, you know, I've seen so many sad things. Uh, what uh, if if we lose a dog? I always think, well. This this poor creature doesn't have to be a dog on the streets of Mexico anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, we always sort of make a joke, and not that it's funny, but that it's going to come back as a spoiled poodle. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you would have to start finding humor in a situation like that, for sure. Yes, we do. And uh, it's going to get a diamond collar, you know. And, mm-hmm. 
and then we really hold on to the ones that we save and we're we have a a uh, facebook page called uh oh, what is it called uh, the uh, um Islay animals alumni or i can't quite remember what mm-hmm. it's called isn't that silly <laughs> anyway people get on there and they that that have adopted dogs from us from all over the us and canada and send pictures and updates and and some families stay together that uh, that have adopted from the same family, and they introduce themselves and get to know one another. I mean, it's it's really a wonderful thing. That's got to be great to see how the dogs are surviving and how many lives you're changing. Oh, it's wonderful. It's it's what makes it possible, because there's a lot of sad sad things, but uh, you just hold on to the good stuff. Sure. And and talk to us about your nonprofit. How long have you been doing this? I know there are a lot of people going, I think I've heard about this lady. <laughs> I hope it's good. <laughs> um, how long have I been doing this? Since 2000. Mm-hmm. And I think that we formed a nonprofit in 2004. I started it at my house. And uh, it's about a half acre lot. So at one point, I was up to 65 dogs at my house. Oh, wow. <laughs> it wasn't that popular. Well, that sounds and, like heaven um, to me. <laughs> pardon? That sounds like heaven to me. Oh, yeah. Well, there were good parts, too. <laughs> but, um, oh, Abig, my daughter's showing me. It's Isla, Fa- Isla Animals Family Album. Thank you, sweetheart. Okay, great. We'll post that for sure, too, so people can get a look at it. So, yes, I started with uh, 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 two girls that were absolutely wonderful. They were younger than me, and they were just, there were puppies coming out of the bushes. There were puppies everywhere on the island uh, because there was no spay and neuter. And what can people do? They have dogs. The dogs go into heat. They have puppies. They these, the people can't keep the puppies. They would. I'm not saying I approve, but I don't sure. know what I don't know what the alternative was. They would put them in boxes and put it in an empty lot, and mm. the puppies would survive or they wouldn't survive. This right. was after they were weaned, and they were just crawling out of the bushes. They were everywhere. Well, obviously, laws are different in Mexico. So, how did that work? Can people do a lot more without certification to spay and neuter? Did you just teach each other, or how does that go? Well, we do a lot of education, mm-hmm. and um, so, and we also ha- every Thursday we have a free spay and neuter day. Oh. So anybody can bring their dog to our uh, clinic and get the dog spayed or neutered. We offer uh, medicines at low cost or free. If people can't afford it, we uh, we do as much as we can to help people take care of their dogs. And actually, we have a new plan because uh, some people, um, a lot of people in Mexico uh, think when you ask them if their dogs are vaccinated, they think they're talking about rabies because mm-hmm. wonderfully in Mexico and because rabies affects people, uh, they started a free rabies shot program oh, uh, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And for the uh, Yucatan Peninsula, uh, they it's gone. There's no more rabies. Wow. Yeah. So it that's fantastic. But a lot of people just don't realize that there are vaccinations against parvo, distemper, hepatitis, all these other illnesses that the puppies pick up. And uh, so we're we're gonna we're making a poster right now, and it's uh, it's gonna just be very short with pictures, and it's gonna say, you know, I just got a dog. This is what I need to do, and it'll be like five points. It's just five things they can do so that that dog will stay with them. 
I hope you'll send that to us when you get that made because if there was one thing that I could do as a person who loved dogs, teach people about the parvo vaccination here in the States because so many people bring puppies home and they don't get that vaccination and wonder why their puppy gets sick and dies. And it's such a simple shot to get. Absolutely. It's so easy to prevent. That's what makes me crazy. You know, Parvo and Distemper, they they each have their goods and their bads. Distemper virus stays in the ground maybe a day. The Parvo, maximum two, minimum about six months. Um, The uh, Parvo is not contagious after you, uh, if you live through it, whereas a Distemper, if a dog lives through it, it's contagious for six months. So they each have their good and bads, but I, I'll take Parvo over distemper any day. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we just had a situation here at a sporting goods store where people were selling puppies in the parking lot, and these puppies had Parvo, so they've stopped, they've no. banned the selling of breeders in the parking lot. But, you know, that virus is still going to be in that parking lot for a while, so. Oh, it will. It will. There are some special cleaners that you can use, mm-hmm. but uh, and, and, of course, we use them all the time. And uh, uh, and they are effective, but you have to be aware of it, right. and you have to be in control of the area that that uh, you were using or where the puppies were. That's just tragic. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, well, it's at least getting some awareness to people. So, yeah, it's sad for the dogs, you know. Mm-hmm. The thing is that the puppies, if they're old enough and healthy enough, can live through parvo with with, uh, support and IV fluids, and and then they'll have a normal life. But with distemper, they they end up with uh, neurological damage, and Mm. they really won't have a normal life. Yeah, and these are shots that really, compared to the cost of treatment for that, are so affordable. They are so affordable. Five years ago, we had an outbreak on the island, and we did a campaign where we um, got, I don't remember, 500 shots Mm -hmm. or vaccinations, and we gave them out for a donation, and people lined up, and Really, we hadn't seen we haven't seen uh, much of it on the island since then. And then this year, we've had a little more of an outbreak, so we're planning to do it again. That's great. I wonder, can people travel to your island and learn more or volunteer? Do you have like a working vacation type thing or anything like that? Oh, I have the most wonderful volunteers. <laughs> I'm so lucky. I mean, the, the book is really about the first 10 years where there just wasn't dog rescues. Mm-hmm. There just wasn't anybody doing anything. And, of course, I have to be respectful to the culture and the people living on the island sure. that this is their country and I'm a foreigner and I can't come in and tell them what to do. Mm-hmm. They're not, you know, they don't want to be told this is the way they live. And so I had to be slow and respectful to all of that while trying to save these animals and there just wasn't a a lot of support uh, as far as awareness that Mm -hmm. there is now the awareness and the raised um, sensitivity to animals these days is just amazing it's it's wonderful I mean worldwide right and uh, but the first 10 years were pretty much alone and uh, but now the government gave us a space to work in. It's not very big, but it'll do. And uh, they're very much behind what we're doing. And we uh, have volunteers every day, and people can come and volunteer. They can walk animals. They can uh, foster them. They can play with the puppies. Um, we love it. It's great, and it's part of the training for the dogs and puppies. It socializes them. Mm -hmm. They get walked by, you know, three different people every day, 
and they get touched and and handled and um, played with, and you know, I mean, it's it's part of the program. This sounds like a magical island. Are you kind of surviving on donations and grants at this point? Never had a grant. Really? Uh, you know, grants are like a foreign language. Mm-hmm. They're very, in my experience, they're very hard to 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 apply for. I mean, it's like writing a book, writing a grant. Right. Um, anyway, that's my experience. But mm-hmm. anyway, uh, the first 10 years, my husband and I pretty much funded the rescue. Wow. And at this point, we can no longer afford to live in our own house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but... I wouldn't change a thing. You know, I've been lucky all my life. I'm fine. I'm 65 years old. I don't need anything. Um, But, yes, we did. We have financially suffered from this. Nowadays, we get, we have more donations. Um, Really, the backbone of the rescue is uh, monthly donations. Mm -hmm. And my idea has always been... uh, you know, more donations for less money because generous people are generous people and they have a lot of causes. And so, you know, our average donation is about $25 a month. Sure. And knowing that that money's coming in is, oh, it's it's just heaven. Well, yeah, and I'm going to just put it out there in the universe that maybe somebody listening will help you guys get a grant. I would really love to see that happen. <laughs> yeah, that would be amazing. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, no, I, I've tried, and then people have offered to write them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, I haven't always had a lot of volunteers, and the ones I have are very busy. And that sort of thing is specialized and, and difficult. That's the truth. Uh, do you encourage everyone to have a dog that can do so? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> they have to really, you know, they have to. I encourage everybody to research dogs, to get the dog that, that that suits their personality or to go to the pound and see if they sort of click with the dog. I, I discourage breeders because there mm-hmm. really is a rescue for every type of dog. There is a rescue for every dog. If you want a golden retriever, there are there are rescues that, that that specialize in that. You don't have to go to a breeder. And I, I think breeders are fine. When we run out of the, the ones that are in rescues, then we can go back to breeders. Right. But at the, at the moment, there's if you want some kind of dog, you can get it. So I, I suggest that people research the kind of dog that they're looking at or get a mutt and just really look into it, look into their lifestyle, see if the big dog, a little dog, you know, what, what fits them so that they enjoy the dog and the dog is happy. And uh, I mean, they had, remember when they came out with 101 Dalmatians mm-hmm. and everybody in Mexico wanted a Dalmatian. Oh. And Dalmatians are difficult. They have a temperament. <laughs> They have a temperament, and they need to be trained, mm-hmm. and nobody trains them. And so they get a puppy, and it'd be, they're the cutest things you've ever seen, and sure. then they didn't train them, and then they didn't walk them, and then they ate their homes. And I must have ended up with hundreds of Dalmatian puppies. Mm. And, you know, they're poorly trained, and they're usually a little nutty because they've not had the, uh, up, up, so to speak, upbringing that they, they need. Right. So... Yeah, yeah, not to say they're not an awesome dog when they get all that training. They just have got to be fit with the right oh, people. Yeah, Every dog is awesome when they get the training and the love they need. Every single dog. So to the yeah. uh, 
extent that some of your rescue work involves saving animals, sometimes that can't always happen. So losing a dog could be like losing a family member. Would you encourage people to keep getting dogs even though there's so much sadness when it's time for them to go? That's kind of where I get every time I lose a dog. I'm like, I don't know if I can do this again. Yeah, that is really hard. You know, I had three original dogs that came from the rescue. I had Napoleon and Sol and Petafetta. And um, I just lost Petafetta this September. Mm. She was 17 years old. Wow. And it is heartbreaking, but she had a great life. And I I was sad, but, you know, she lives in... She lives on with me. Mm-hmm. I think of her. I know. I kn- knew her. I adored her. She had just a. She lives on. You know, it, her right. time was up, and maybe I'm a little more used to death. And and I think the harder thing is if they die young from something unexpected, and right. it's more of a shock. Mm-hmm. But if you're lucky enough to have the dog tell it's time, you know, it's it's had enough life, then um, I think that uh, you have to enjoy what time you had with the dog. And if you want another one, get another one. Yeah. And I was going to say, you probably have more experience with this than just about anyone. But do you have any words of compassion for when people have to make that decision to end an animal suffering? Oh, it's horrible. It's just horrible. Um, I guess I, with Petafetta, I felt like she was grateful. Mm -hmm. She'd had enough. I, I had tried different things, and uh, she uh, it was her time. You know, her quality of life was no longer worth her being alive. And uh, I was very sad, but I, I wasn't doing anything bad. You're not doing anything bad. You're just saying goodbye, and you really don't push it so that the dog suffers, so that you can be with the dog longer. I'd say you just have to know when it's time and that's hard to know right right i I often feel that people push it way too long and Mm -hmm. put old dogs through procedures and but you know isn't that easy to say you know it's in an individual thing how do you think we know when it's time i okay well all of my dogs were old when they died and Mm -hmm. they're they're their time had come. I mean, they they were too. She was too sick to really get up and and walk around anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I had uh, one dog uh, that wasn't really mine. I was fostering it, and it didn't get along with anybody. So it it liked me. So I took this dog home, and my choice was that the minute the dog because it bit everybody, and I said, okay, the minute that dog bites me, then. It has to go. Mm-hmm. And I had him for a long time, and then something clicked in his head, and he started getting aggressive with me, and that's the, pr- that's the promise I made, and that's yeah. what I did. Sure. But that wasn't really my dog. I, I don't know. It's such a hard decision. It's a horrible time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but basic things like eating and mobility. Yes. Yeah. You have to just kind of get in there and think, what what's their life like? What are they used to? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. It's it's everybody thinks they know, but and I don't know either. <laughs> it's a tough choice, but thank you for those those words of compassion. That will definitely help some people out. Why do you think it's so important to help animals? They depend on us. Mm-hmm. I mean, dogs and cats are attracted to people. They're they're we. I, 
they they're attracted to us. We are uh, attention. We are food. We are everything. I mean, when you get a, a litter of puppies, those puppies want to be on your lap. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I've had hundreds of thousands of puppies, and they want people. They want people. They're not just living beside us. They're living with us. They want us. They want attention and compassion. They don't just want food and to stay dry. They want people. And, um, uh, you know, that, and we're supposed, you know, we're supposed to have the big brain, aren't we? <laughs> so, you know, we, we should do what we can. We're speaking with Alison Sawyer, author of The Dog Lady of Mexico. And how many animals do you think you have estimated spayed or neutered in your life? Oh, definitely over 20,000. Wow. And I think that's a, well, we just did a clinic in, we do a great big one every uh, November or December. And last uh, last December 2018, we did uh, 12,000 animals in five days. That's incredible. It's the great advantage of having been doing this for so long. Mm-hmm. I have volunteers that have been coming back for 10 years for these spay and neuter clinics and they look forward to it and it's an incredible experience and I have wonderful vets that look forward to it and want to help in any way they can and I mean how lucky right and tell us the the name of the island again and the nonprofit. the island is Isla Mujeres and the nonprofit is Isla Animal I was just going to say, we also work on the mainland. We work wherever people need us. We'll do as much as we can. It really depends on our manpower and funds. And I was going to say, there's obviously no such thing as too many animal rescues. How can someone start their own here? I wouldn't recommend <laughs> <laughs> They need to read my book and decide <laughs> if they want to do that. Maybe just get involved to an all get involved with an already established rescue. Yeah. Get involved. See what you're getting into. I mean I had a, no intention of doing this. I had no idea what I was getting into. And uh it's it's a lot of hard, heartbreaking work. And you pretty much give up everything. Well, my final question for yeah. you is gonna be where do you find all the love? <laughs> I don't know. I love saying I got hit with a, but with a dog stick. I don't know. I didn't even volunteer at the Humane Society before I moved <laughs> to Mexico. Something happened to me. I don't know what it was. Well, we are thankful something happened to you, and we are so thankful for this book that you have, The Dog Lady of Mexico, Allison Sawyer. Thank you so much for calling us today, and I'll put links up to uh, all your websites and social media, but if you want to throw those out again, we'll make sure people get online and check you out. Yeah, we have isanimals.org. That's our website. And then I try to post every day on our Facebook page, which is Isla Animals. Um, And uh, we have that uh, family album page uh, that you can go to and see people that have successfully adopted our dogs. I think that's it. That family album page is really dangerous for me because I see fat puppy bellies and little puppy teeth, and I just want to have them in my arms. (laughs) But you can come down and get your puppy fix. We (laughs) always have about 20. (laughs) If I ever get to make it to Mexico, I'm definitely going your direction. Allison Sawyer, thank you so much for calling us today. Oh, thanks for your interest. Thank you very much. For more podcasts, visit SheLikesToGoSlow.com.